Jesus that we've sung about. And in particular, I want to share with you a message today that I've titled, The Life-Giving Shepherd. The Life-Giving Shepherd. And kind of collect our thoughts around that. Uh, One day back in 2017, I was on my way to a meeting, and I decided, not in this town, I'm not trying to degrade any local restaurants, but uh, I decided I would stop through a Hardee's on the way and just grab a meal for my meeting, you know, kind of in a rush. And so as I waited in line, I saw an advertisement for a baby back rib burger. Now, you know, that sounds like, to a meat eater like myself, that sounds like hog heaven, all right? I mean, you got the beef of the patty, you got the good pork of the baby back rib, you just merge those together in one big old sandwich and just have you a good old sloppy happy time, all right? What I didn't realize until I was already on the road, you know, on my way to my meeting was, you know, I went to take a bite out of that sandwich. I thought, this thing sure is thin, and opened up the bun, and they had forgotten to put the meat, the, the beef, onto my, you know, you guys are probably eating at Hardee's in recent, it's onto my like seven or eight dollar burger, okay, and uh, it reminded me, some of you might remember, this is a, this is a commercial from a very young age for me, it was actually 1984 this commercial came out, uh, there were three ladies who were gathering around a cheeseburger and one of them unwrapped and lifted off the bun while another said, wow, that sure is a lot of bread. And then the third one continued to repeat over and over again, where's the beef? Where's the beef? As there was just this little nugget-sized patty of meat that was there on that large piece of bread in the Wendy's commercial from 1984. That's kind of what my mind went to as I bit into that burger as I realized there was only just that one little slab of nugget of something that was supposed to kind of look like prime rib or, or uh, baby back ribs. And where's the beef? Uh, a lot of people go through life thinking like that. And we might not spend much time kind of speaking of it, but a lot of us are spending time contemplating the lives that we live and we're asking the question where's the beef that is where's the purpose where's the meaning where's the abundance of this life why does it all seem so empty that's ultimately the sort of conclusion that solomon came to in the book of ecclesiastes as he explored so many avenues of seeking satisfaction and in the end found that all the things of this world were vanity of vanities as he declared all is vanity and so often Individuals find themselves sandwiched between birth and death and they're expecting something to be within the substance of the life that they're living. They're looking for something that is true substance, something that is abundant substance. You know, maybe you're here today and you're struggling to find life. You're struggling to find identity. You're struggling to find meaning in this existence in which you're in. Maybe you're wondering if there's anything to be found in this wedged existence between life and death. And you're wondering, where's the beef of this life? Well, today we're going to be taking a look at a second passage in a four-part series of messages from the Gospel of John as we examine Jesus' own words in the Gospel of John about why he had come. Jesus, four times in this Gospel, declares why he had come that we're honing in on in this Christmas season. Because Christmas is the time of year when we celebrate Christ's coming. 
But we're looking to God's word. We're looking in hopes that we might go beyond the fact of his coming to see the reason for his coming. And I want all of us to be sure that in the midst of celebrating the festivities that surround what we commemorate in Jesus' first coming, we don't miss the reasons why he has come. And today, in particular, we're going to find in John 10.10 that Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life, abundant life. That's the beef that we're looking for as we're sandwiched between birth and death here on the earth. We want something with true substance. We want something that endures beyond what we might chase after and find to be frivolous and empty. Where can that be found? Where can sustaining, abundant life be found? Well, today's passage is going to show us that. And I invite you, if you're able, to stand with us as we read in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Here in this passage, we have Jesus using a teaching tool that John refers to in verse 6 as simply a figure of speech. It's much like the parables that we find in the other gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And here in John 10, in particular, Jesus uses the imagery of a shepherd and the imagery of his sheep, which would have been so common for individuals in his day to see. 
Not the first time that we've seen Jesus do that in our examination through the Gospel of Luke. We saw, for example, this parable of the lost sheep and how the shepherd goes searching after it and how he has such a passion for the one. This is biblical imagery. It's imagery which would have been so common for the people of Jesus' day. As he paints this picture of a shepherd and his sheep, Jesus shows how he, in his coming, serves as a good shepherd. He serves as the door for God's sheep. And unlike any other shepherd who's ever lived, Jesus makes it clear here that he's come as a shepherd who gives life, abundant life. He's come so that they may have life and may have it abundantly, according to verse 10. Take a little spiritual inventory right now in yourself. Do you have this sort of life? Do you want to experience a life of true and lasting value? If so, then you need to understand what we've just read here in this passage. Christ Jesus has come for us so that we may have a life and have it abundantly. Not a meek, not a meager, not a just barely scraping by sort of life. Not a life that goes from paycheck to paycheck. Not a life that ultimately just uh, struggles to make it from day to day. Abundant life is what Jesus offers us here in this passage. And you know, you might be thinking to yourself, like, I have plenty of life. My heart's beating. My lungs are, are still breathing. My doctor says that I'm healthy. I'm physically full of life. Well, let me just say, that may be true, but if that were all the life that there was to enjoy, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come, based on what we're reading here this morning. When Jesus says he's come so that God's sheep may have life, then we need to understand that apart from his coming, those sheep, though they may have been physically alive, were dead in some way. And this leads me to the first point that I want you to understand from this passage. Whatever you have apart from Jesus is not abundant life. I don't care what it is. No no matter what you have apart from Jesus, it is not abundant life. Because if you can have abundant life apart from Jesus, and there would be no need for his coming, that we might have life and have it abundantly, as he proclaims here in verse 10. Furthermore, from the outset of this passage today, Jesus makes it clear that there are others who would seek to enter among the sheep. Jesus refers to them as thieves. He refers to them as robbers. Later, he'll talk about strangers and those who are merely hired hands. And Jesus speaks of these individuals. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, what's the purpose of a thief? Is it not to take What is not rightfully his? What distinguishes a robber? He doesn't mind harming the one who has what he wants if it enables him to get what he wants. And this world, friends, is full of thieves. It's full of robbers who offer up alternative ways to us, saying that we ought to regard those ways in which we might find meaningful and abundant life but you should know that nothing 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 apart from Jesus can offer to you meaningful and abundant life 
And the reason that men are dead is because they don't have the life of God in them. This is spiritual death which Jesus is coming to address. And you may have everything else in life going for you. But if you don't have the life of God which Jesus Christ has come to offer, then you are dead in this sense. You are spiritually dead. You are at enmity with God. There is no fellowship between you. There is separation in this relationship. And I don't care how much someone else may try to convince you that they have life to offer you in the offerings that they are peddling. If you don't have Jesus, you're as dead as dead can be. You can be looking good and dead. You can be physically healthy and still be dead. You can be financially wealthy and still be dead. You can be intellectually sophisticated and still be dead. You can be relationally popular and still be dead. And the reality is that dead is dead. And the death that reigns in the absence of abundant life often rears its head and the emptiness and the confusion about how we face life and how life crashes upon us and causes us to question significance, the substance of what we live in. This death that reigns, it, it, it may appear in the teenager who obtains brand name clothes and the fancy car, but who struggles still with finding a sense of lasting value. It may appear in the life of a woman who's despaired over her singleness until the day that the guy she thought was Mr. Right came along. But now she's married to Mr. Right and she's finding out that he's just the sort of guy who always thinks he's right. And so now she's wondering if she mistook Mr. Wrong for Mr. Right. Because that hallmark movie fairy tale sort of romance just hasn't come along for her. It's not producing the significance. It's not producing the substance. It's not producing the beef that she had hoped for. George Foreman, that famous boxer turned TV marketer, uh, the lean, mean, grilling machine, he came to a point in his life when he realized that in spite of checking off every dream he thought he'd ever want to accomplish, he was still dead. It was March of 1977. He was just a few days out from another fight as he stood on the balcony of his hotel room and he wondered about the meaning of life. Now, he'd come a long way from the poverty in which he was born and which he had grown up in over his 28-year life to that point. He was, at this point, the heavyweight champion of the world. He'd had a ton of success. Still, as he wrote in his book, God in my corner, he said, I was empty. For 10 years, he had gone through the same routine of preparing for fight after fight. And as he looked forward to what would likely be another win for him, he wondered, what's it all for? Is my goal truly to live for just another W? And so he thought to himself, is that all there is to life? He had a void that worldly success couldn't fill. A void that money couldn't fill. He had more cash in the bank than you and I probably could ever dream of having. He had three homes. He had a dozen cars. He even had his own ranch. But even with all of that, he was struggling to find the meaning and the meat 
of true life. And he wondered, would another car, would, would another car make me happy? Like, would adding another house, just one more house, would that make me happy? And he writes, some mysterious piece of the puzzle was missing, but I didn't know where to find it. More than once, I toyed with the idea of driving my car over the cliff. Likewise, there was a documentary that was released earlier this year titled The, the Weight of Gold. And in that, Michael Phelps describes how in spite of being the most decorated Olympian of all time, he struggled with depression after winning it all. In the documentary, he describes how competing and succeeding for so many Olympic athletes still left them empty. That is, this wasn't just a common experience for him. It was an experience that was common to many Olympians. In fact, he said a good 90%, maybe even more, of those who were former Olympians develop a post-Olympic depression. And Phelps said, I thought of myself as just a swimmer and not a human being. And that's where I thought, why don't I just end it all? And friends, let me just say, oh, how the thieves and the robbers of worldly success and fame and fortune and prosperity threaten to rob us of any sense of lasting joy. And if you're struggling to find abundant life in these things, then I compel you to consider the true source of abundant life. It is he who has come by the door as the shepherd of the sheep, according to verse 2 here. It is he who the doorkeeper has welcomed in, according to verse 3. Such that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him as he leads them into abundant life. And this one is Jesus. He will later make that clear that he is the good shepherd. He has the gatekeeper's clearance, the gatekeeper's approval to come for the sheep. And Christ Jesus has come for us. As we're so readily acknowledging as we study through these four passages of purpose for which he has come he has come for us now you should know that in jesus's day there were actually two different kinds of sheepfolds both of them are kind of referenced by jesus in a way here in john chapter 10 the first which we see jesus referring to here in verses 1 through 3 was what was known as kind of a communal sheepfold and this sort of sheepfold you, you would find within villages and towns of Judea. You can imagine multiple shepherds being around the area. And in these more populated areas, shepherds keeping their sheep out in the fields by day would bring them back into the village that night. And then they would be taken into the communal sheepfold along with the sheep of other shepherds as they brought them there. This is a place, by the way, with a strong door. And that door had a doorkeeper. Only the doorkeeper had a key to the door. And no one could enter that sheepfold except for the one who was known by the, the, the doorkeeper as a shepherd of flocks that should be in that fold. Multiple shepherds from the village or town. They would bring their sheep in and then the shepherd, each individual one, would call his own sheep when it was time for those sheep to go out the next day. And they would respond to him. When he was ready to lead them out. And Jesus has come as the only true shepherd who has been approved by God the Father. God the Father being the gatekeeper to come into the fold. To call God's sheep out to everlasting life. 
He's the one the parable refers to in verse 3. To him, to Jesus, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So listen to me. Don't let that boss convince you that you need to burn the candle at both ends in order to earn that promotion and find true significance. Don't let that boy or that girl convince you that you need to walk away from a life of purity that God has called you to, to walk in a way that you will find true significance in your relationship with him or her. Don't let that marketer tell you that you need these things, these items, in order to obtain your deepest desires and your most satisfying needs. Only Jesus is God's approved dealer of abundant life. Only Jesus has come performing the miracles that show he is the Son of God, authenticated by God as the one come to save the world. Only Jesus has conquered the grave as a resounding endorsement of the Father from heaven changing the world to offer this life, this hope to you. And whatever you may have apart from him, you should know that it does not amount to the abundant life which will fill the void of your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And listen, if you find the abundance of life in him, it will change the way you look at everything. It'll change the way you live your life. You'll find yourself dependent on his sufficiency rather than guided by your own. You'll rest in the goodness through which he has given you all that you have rather than obsessing over the things that you don't yet have. You'll trust in God's capability to walk you through the valley rather than worrying over the pains and the problems and the despairs that you face when life takes you down a different path. You'll make room in your heart and in your budget for the needs of other people rather than holding all things to yourself as though they are the substance of true life. And let me just ask you, have you been chewed up? Have you been spit out in this broken world by the thieves and the robbers who promised you something that they could not deliver? Have you been used and abused and left out like a piece of trash by someone only wanting to use you to take advantage of you? If that's you, then take heart because Christ Jesus has come for us and he's come to give us true and lasting, abundant life. And while the thief may think he can get something out of you, Christ came for those who could give him nothing in return. Like you may say, I've got nothing to offer. What would Jesus want in me? Well, hear the good news of the gospel. Christ Jesus came for sinners. He came for those who were at enmity with him. Those who were at odds with him. And he comes to call you to himself, not for what he can get out of you, but because he, what he wants to give to you, abundant life. And I remind you once more that whatever you have apart from Jesus is not abundant life. Here's the next big idea I want you to see from our passage today. The abundant life is a life of devotion. The abundant life is a life of devotion. Jesus comes to save sinners, but that doesn't mean that when he calls us to himself, he expects us to keep living a life of sin. 
No, as Jesus goes on in verse 4, he shows that when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That is, those who find the good shepherd's life will be known by what they do in response to his amazing grace. They follow him. They hear his voice. And when he leads, they go along with him. And if you say that you've been saved, but you're living a life that would not accurately be described as following Jesus, then you need to take an abundant life inventory. Because the sheep of Jesus, those who've been called by his voice to realize, to experience this abundant life, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Let me just say, it's a kind voice. It's a voice that welcomes you back from your sin. The voice of Jesus is the voice of love speaking over you and calling you to follow him into a life that has true and lasting significance and abundance. And oh friends, let us not settle for a life which misses out on the blessed abundance of following Christ. In his coming, Jesus confronted those who claimed to know him as Lord without the evidence of the life which showed that they were followers of him. And so we read, for example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, that Jesus challenged individuals by asking them, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That is, there's a disconnect. If you say Jesus is your Lord, if you say I've entrusted my life to him and, and he's your Lord, then the expectation is he's going to be the Lord of your life. He's going to be directing your steps. He's going to be calling you and you're going to be following him. To call him Lord and not to do what he says, there's a disconnect there. That's not to say that there aren't going to be times when we all fail, when we all falter, but ultimately... The Spirit of God is not convicting you, not drawing you to depart from your sin, to pursue Him, to follow Him. And maybe you need to conduct that abundant life inventory to say, is Jesus truly the Lord of my life? Or am I just proclaiming that with my words and not entrusting that to my heart and my eternity? Listen, Jesus didn't just come so that he could make you alive. He came so that you could enjoy life to the max. As the author of life, he knows what will bring the most enjoyment out of your life. I think so often we get the mentality that if we follow Jesus, we're going to have this killjoy sort of life. We're going to have a life that is diminished, a life that is just barely getting by in the enthusiasm and enjoyment factor. The reality is Jesus offers to you abundant life. There is no greater satisfaction in life than to follow, to know, to obey his commands. And so... Ultimately, we need to believe that God has our best interests at heart when he says do this or when he says don't do that. And so we follow him as our way of experiencing the fullness of abundant life. Let's keep this in mind, especially as Christmas time now rolls around. Our tendency in this season is to kind of focus on gifts which won't last. We get all wrapped up in shopping We get all wrapped up in giving and unwrapping and receiving. But let's take a moment, each one of us who knows Christ, to consider the ways in which we can live a life of devotion overflowing from the abundant life we've received in Jesus. How can we balance 
the hearing of our good shepherd's voice against the many voices of strangers that vie for our time and our attention in this season. You know, maybe you can live out of the abundant life of devotion by foregoing some luxury in this coming week so that the resources you would have invested in that luxury can help you to love your neighbor by providing him or her with a necessity. Maybe the gift that you need to give this Christmas is the difficult gift of forgiveness offered to someone who has wronged you in your past. Maybe your gift would be a refusal to be served by others so that you might instead serve them. These are ways in which we manifest the abundant life we've received in Christ. And yes, the abundant life is a life of devotion, but the next big idea from John 10 is really the crux of it all. Jesus is the door to abundant life. Yes, Jesus is the door to abundant life. That's why he says here in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. The first of two great I am statements. Jesus making these statements. Yahweh of the Old Testament. Almighty God, the Lord, as it's often translated in our scriptures. Yahweh, meaning literally I am. And Jesus shows who he is through these great I am statements in John. And I mentioned to you earlier that there were two types of sheepfolds in Israel in Jesus' day. We've already looked at the first of those in that communal sheepfold. But here, as Jesus declares to these confused Jews who were not picking up what he was putting down, that he is the door of the sheep, Jesus now takes the other type of sheepfold to explain to them. You see, during the warm season in Israel, shepherds would take their sheep far out from the villages. They could find greener pastures in the process. And so they would stay gone with their flocks, sometimes for weeks at a time. And at night, out in the countryside, they would lead their sheep into sheepfolds that were ultimately built on the hillside out of rocks and thorns. Sometimes, uh, very often actually, on the edge of cliffs so that the wall was built around And the sheep were protected from all the things which would come, thieves and bandits and wolves and other things that would come to harm the sheep. But these sheepfolds, these sheepfolds out in the country, they had no door to close their entrance. In fact, after the shepherd had led his sheep in for the night, he himself would lay across the opening to that sheepfold. So it's kind of closed everywhere but this opening with rocks and thorns and whatever would keep the animals away. And and the shepherd closes. He is the door. That's the sort of sheepfold that Jesus is describing here as he says, I am the door of the sheep. And what Jesus is saying here is that there's only one way to come into God's flock. There's only one door that will lead you to that place of abundant life. There's only one way to find what God would have you to enjoy if you're going to experience the real meat, the real hope, the real substance of life. And Jesus is the way. As John records him saying later in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except by me. And let me just say, I praise God that Jesus is the door of abundant life. 
Because not only does a door open to grant you access into something new, a door can actually be shut to close you off from something that is old. This week, this weekend actually, yesterday, uh, and a few days before that, all right, I spent a good bit of time working with a door. I am not a general contractor, okay? I'm a computer scientist. That means I sit at my desk and do this all day, okay? But my son, my oldest son, wanted a door on his room. We've had, uh, his room is essentially what was a porch on our house originally. It was converted into a room, and it still had this kind of outside door that had open kind of window glass panes on it. So when he would go to bed at night, you know, we had some shades in there, but there was a lot of light that would leak in through those shades. So he wanted to replace that door, one reason being he wanted to darken things up. Well, you know, I thought, let's just go over, to, let's go over to Home Depot and pick up a new door. Bring it home and slide that joker right on in there. And the one that I bought was about a quarter of an inch too wide. And so I measured and said, well, that's, you know, it's a little bit wider than 32 inches, the opening of the spot that I had to put the door in. So I took that one back, and I went to Lowe's, and I took my tape measure this time, and I measured out the door that I was going to get. I said, okay, this one's right at 32 inches. Surely this one's going to fit. Carved out where the hinges would go. I mounted that joker on the wall, and it's still about a quarter of an inch short of closing. For a couple of nights, Michael was ramming his body into the door to get it to close enough where the light wouldn't come through. And then yesterday, I took the door to uh, my uncle, who has a this kind of combo table that does jointing and... Um, kind of clears off the edge of a, of, a, of a door. And so as I took that to him, the, the planer, I took it to him to plane that door. Uh, we finally got the edge off. We sanded it down, and then I painted the door, and then I had to carve the hinges out again. And then finally I got the thing mounted and closing and locking. You're welcome, Micah. <laughs> but. There's another reason why my son wanted this door, and he wanted it to lock, and it's because he has a five-year-old brother. And when you're a teenager, you know what your five-year-old brother wants to do. He wants to storm into your room all the time because he looks up to you, and he wants to spend time with you. And if you don't have a lock, if you don't have a good door, there's no way to keep him out. So Micah now has a door that will close things off in addition to welcoming things in. And let me just say, I'm so thankful that Jesus serves both of these purposes for you and for me. Not only does he welcome us into the opportunity of abundant life through Christ the door who opens to the repentant sinner by faith. But beyond that, Christ is the door that shuts off all of the old life of sin, all of the old life of guilt, all of the old life of pain, all of the old life of loss. And men and women, boys and girls, near and far, need to know your guilt can be erased. Your rejection can be a has-been. If you walk through the door which is Christ in order to receive eternal life, then the door of your past will be forevermore shut behind you. And surely there are individuals here this morning who are facing the anguish over guilt that remains unconfessed and unrepented as the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus has not yet been received in those circumstances.
I don't need to remind you of that guilt. It's at the forefront of your mind. It's embedded deeply in your life. But maybe I need to remind you of this. Listen to this promise of Scripture. As far as the east is from the west, just that far he has removed our sins from us. So don't hold on to that guilt. Don't hold on to that shame. Don't hold on to that which would rob you of life. Abundant life. Come to Christ in repentance. Come to Him in faith. And let Him slam that door shut. So that you don't have to be drained and diminished by that anymore. Because Jesus has come to give life. He's come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Furthermore, as the abundant life, Jesus, he offers the abundant life's salvation. That's the truth we find from Jesus in verse 9 here. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. The word saved is the antithesis to danger. That is, if someone's in danger, he needs to be saved. He needs to be rescued. He needs to be delivered. He needs to be saved from the danger that he's in. And the Bible declares that men are in danger. And what is it that they're danger, in danger of? They're in danger of the wrath of God. That is, apart from Christ, we all stand condemned. We all need Christ Jesus. And what God, Jesus, God does is he sends Christ Jesus in order to provide the rescue, the salvation, the safety that we need. He delivers mankind. He delivers those who repent. He delivers those who come by faith from the danger that they are in. And that danger is none other than the danger of hell. The Bible declares in John chapter 3 that the man who does not know Jesus Christ is condemned already. He's hanging over hell, as it were, by a thread. And the Bible says that the moment he closes his eyes, all he's got to do is die, and then there's no more debate. His situation is fixed. He drops from that thread which hangs him over hell because he's already condemned. But, but Jesus... When a person comes to faith in Christ, Jesus saves him. He delivers him from wrath. He takes him off of that dangling string. And he does that. He delivers in three ways. He, he ultimately delivers that individual from the penalty of sin. That is, God no longer holds that individual as guilty. That individual is justified. That individual is declared by the greatest judge, the only true judge of all mankind, that I therefore declare this one to be righteous. Furthermore, he's, de he's delivered from the power of sin. Not only is there justification dealing with that finality of the sin which I once committed, there is now sanctification which happens in encouraging and driving me on in holiness as I grow into the image of Christ. And that thirdly, there is this eternal hope that one day we will be delivered from the very presence of sin in glorification. Those are the past, present, and future 
phases or tenses of our salvation. What's it mean to be saved? It means ultimately that God has declared you righteous. Even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If you come by faith. It means that God is transforming you out of a life of sin through your sanctification. It means that one day God will rescue you from this broken earth with all of its temptations and trials and toils and tears. And he will welcome you into a place where these things are no more. Jesus is the door to abundant life. He offers abundant life's salvation. Furthermore, he offers abundant life's security. As verse 9 goes on, he says, If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That means that if you have abundant life in Jesus, you have lasting peace. It's a peace which enables you to go in and out and find pasture. Now, in Jesus' day, cities were walled. They had big walls built around them as protection. And if there was an invading city coming against you, then you could not go out of the city. You couldn't go in and out because ultimately your, your enemies were outside of the gates of your city. So to be able to go in and out of the city... As Jesus says, his sheep will be able to do as they go to find pasture here in John chapter 10. To be able to go in and out is to be existing in a status of peace. It is to be in a secure sort of relationship. It is to be protected and to not have to worry about your life as you go in and out. And when the sheep went out and they found pasture, that sheep was satisfied with plenty to eat. That sheep was satisfied with a nice, soft cushion to rest on. That's why Psalm 23 is such a precious psalm to so many of us. As Likewise, in God's Word, we see another example of this shepherd and sheep analogy. The Lord is my shepherd, and I don't want anything. I'm satisfied. When it gets hot and sticky, He makes me lie down. When I don't know which way to go, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I don't want anything. I'm satisfied. And when I don't know which way to go, he leads me in those paths. When I'm afraid in the valley of the shadow of death, the rod and the staff, they show up and I feel comfortable. When I don't know where my next provision is coming from, that's okay because God knows and he's already put a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I'm frustrated, when I don't know what my direction ultimately should be, goodness and mercy show up and lead me home. Friends, when you've got that sort of shepherd, you're secure. You're secure. You're secure to know that all things are in his control. All things are in his hands. And if I, as one who have entrusted my life to him as the source of abundant life, if I die at age 40, if the next, next year the Lord calls me home, I can rest in the security of knowing that he's in control of all things. And what he has offered to me is abundant life. Like death is not going to take that away from me. Like the trials in my life are not going to take that away from me. I am secure in the provisions of my abundant life giver, Christ Jesus. And yes, Jesus is the door to abundant life. He offers abundant life's uh, salvation and abundant life's security. Furthermore, he has abundant life's sacrifice that's so clear here from verse 11 jesus plainly declares with the second i am statement of this parable that i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep 
So friends, maybe you're asking, like, how do I find abundant life? We find abundant life by having the wrath that was due to us laid on the Lord Jesus. Jesus came for this very purpose. He came to provide abundant life. And how did he do that? He took the condemnation we deserved on himself. He stood as the the righteous one, the just one, who had never sinned in the place of sinners, guilty and vile and at enmity with God like you and me. He took that wrath to the cross of Calvary and he died suffering the very wrath of his heavenly father. And yet God confirmed that even in his death, even as he was buried coming off of that cross, God confirmed that this sacrifice was the sufficient sacrifice that you and I need. And he did that by raising Jesus up from the dead as the first fruits that you have the opportunity of being a part of the harvest of. That is this substitute, this one who has come to provide life for us, has done so by standing in our place. And when Jesus comes to give you abundant life, he does so as the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life for you, not in just some sort of sentimental, emotional sort of way to show you how much love he has for you, but in a very physical way that bears the wrath you deserve and provides for you the way to be restored to God in a way which you could not do on your own apart from him. And Jesus has done that. He's come. He says here in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own mouth. My own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, this is the gift of Christmas. The gift is not just a sweet little baby in a manger. The gift is what that baby has come to do. The gift is that he has come for us. That God has taken on flesh and that as he's there, as he's weak, as he's experiencing the struggles of humanity, he's doing so so that he can head in a beeline for the cross so that he can deal with what separates you from God. He can deal with what keeps you from having true life and eternal life. He can deal with what ultimately prevents you from having the abundant life that he talks about in this passage A hired hand won't do that. Israel was full of hired hands. That's individuals who were there only for the status. As a matter of fact, we kind of look back at the context of this verse. There's, there's nothing that interrupts John chapter 9 from John chapter 10. It's just this natural flow of where Jesus heals this blind beggar. And ultimately he comes and he wants to follow Jesus. But the Pharisees are confused and they're arguing with him. And Jesus now talks about hired hands in John chapter 10. The implication being that those who served as the religious elites of Jesus's day were nothing more than in it for the money nothing more than in it for the status nothing more than in it for the prestige and there are hired hands in this world all around us and let me just state with shock and shame that maybe some of you have been burned by the hired hands who claim to be doing God's work. Far too often we see this happening. 
Maybe you've been burned by a hired hand who only cared for you until it wasn't convenient. Let me tell you that Jesus is not a hired hand. Jesus will never leave you. There's no distance that he won't go to keep you safe. He lays down his own life to pursue you and to give you life. Jesus is the door to abundant life. He is abundant life's sacrifice, but finally, he compels us into abundant life's mission. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He's speaking to the Jews. And he's talking about the sheep who were outside of the fold of Israel. He's talking basically about any of us who come to know Christ, not being in a Jewish context here in Madison, North Carolina. Jesus says, I have those other sheep. They're not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Friends, we're part of that fold because of the missionary efforts of those who have championed the abundant life that has been placed within them by going and doing what Christ calls us to do. And we, if we know Christ, we are a part of this great commission mandate to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he's commanded us. And Jesus is with us in that. Jesus is still working that work. But here's the good news. You get a chance to be a part of that work. In fact, it is our obligation. It is our calling to live out this work. And if we say that we have abundant life, but we are not focusing, we are not creatively uh, finding ways to energize, to mobilize, to be a part of that work, then friends, we are ultimately selling this gospel message, this gospel mission short. And so there's a sense in which we all, as Christians, are called to carry on the good shepherd's work. When Jesus saw the crowds, that they were like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. You want to follow Jesus? Have compassion on those who are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus trained up those who would come after him. Even as he ascended to heaven, he had equipped the saints for the work of ministry and was providing others who would do the same. And Jesus continues to gift us, even now through the Holy Spirit, to do the work of loving our neighbors, to do the work of caring for the lost sheep of God. And let me just say, unless you come to Jesus Christ, unless he's forgiven you for your sin, unless he's operating as the sustenance through which you live, you'll always be searching for the meat of life, the abundance of life, And you'll never find the fulfillment of it. Because abundant life is not about having stuff. It's about having peace. It's about having joy. It's about having God himself. So won't you come to the Good Shepherd? Won't you here on this day come through the door? Won't you come to Jesus and find true life that really endures. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for your heart in sending the good shepherd to rescue us. And Father, I just pray that as we take inventory of our lives today, as we continue, as we, as we evaluate the, the standing that we have with you, as we consider this abundant life and whether or not we're experiencing it now, Lord, I just pray that you would do what only you can do, Lord. Show us the thieves. Show us the robbers. Show us the fabrications that try to show us that we're going to have eternal life when the reality is they have nothing like that to offer. God, show us in the false things that we've trusted in. Show us in the doors that need to be closed in our lives. Show us how to walk through, how to leave the guilt, how to leave the sin, how to leave the shame in the past. Lord, show us abundant life and draw us to the author of that. Draw us to the sacrifice. Draw us to Jesus who has stood in our place. Draw us to Jesus who has died the death that we deserve. Draw us to Jesus who was buried in the grave and conquered it in resurrection as only you could enable, oh Lord. Draw us to the one who could grant us abundant life. And Lord, help us to be on mission. Help us to hear and to follow the voice of he who grants this life to us. Lord, don't let us be content to settle for anything less. Don't let us to be content to settle for the void, the emptiness. Lord, if there's someone here who needs to trust in Christ for the first time, Lord, I pray you draw them by your spirit to say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died to deal with the penalty of my sin. I believe that even though you were buried, that you've been raised again as a resounding authentication of God, that you are capable of dealing with my sin. And so I call out to you, save me, Lord Jesus. Grant me abundant life. Help me to turn, Lord, away from these things which are futile, these things which end up empty, these things which will not last. Help me to find abundant life in Christ. And, Lord, I just pray that you grant knowledge that anyone who turns to you by faith in that way, anyone who entrusts his or her life to you that way, Lord, I pray you'd help them to to hear in their heart the the clanking of the door which is closed to who they once were as they enter into abundant life. For those of us who've received that life, Lord, just help us to live on mission, on purpose for that very cause. We thank you for this gift available only in Jesus but so readily available and so willingly offered by our great God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming out today. If there's any decisions,